WCLS in Whatcom County presents Library Stories, a podcast to open your eyes to all the ways your local public libraries matter. Join us as we reveal the power of sharing at the library. I'm your host, Neil McKay, Online Experience Coordinator for the Whatcom County Library System, and today... Normally, I would start the podcast with a little friendly banter with my boss, Mary Vermillion. But today, I'm just so eager to get our guests and our topic that I'm foregoing the formalities. So today, we welcome Paul Hansen, co-owner of Village Books, a community-based independent bookstore located in Fairhaven. So, Paul, welcome. Thank you, Neil. It's great to be here. So, I notice in, in our conversations via email that your email signature says you're co-owner and steward of Village Books. Can you tell me a little about what that means to you? Oh, sure. Well, the inspiration for that came when, so we bought the store from Chuck and D. Robinson, who owned the store for 40 some odd years. I think it was close to 40 years. And the um, as we were talking about that transition and um, us coming in and trying to fill their shoes, we had in mind, how are we going to, uh, how are we going to position this for when we're ready to hand it on to somebody else? We don't view this as ours. We see ourselves very much as stewards of a wonderful organization of a, a beloved place in Bellingham. And we're just here to shepherd it and steward it until the next people can come along after us. So um, I put that specifically in my signature as a not just a reminder to myself, but a um, I guess a communication to everybody who sees me that they should just see me as I'm I'm here for now and uh, hopefully going to leave it better uh, than we found it. Well, and it's true. We think you know, as a community member, you know, I think of it as my bookstore. I think of Village Books as you know the county's bookstore, the this the city of Bellingham's bookstore, Fairhaven's bookstore. It feels like it belongs to us, much in the way the library belongs to us as community members. Um, so thank you for being a good steward of this, you know, this amazing uh, piece of Bellingham. Well, thank you for that. Actually, that I think that'll be the highest compliment I can ever have. And I hope to see that on my tombstone is he was a good steward. <laughs> I hope that you don't see it on your tombstone, but maybe, <laughs> maybe others will. How long have you been the owner now? Uh, we bought the store in 2017, that, so five years, two months, and <laughs> 23 days. <laughs> uh, it, it seems both like a long time ago and like just yesterday. You not only have the uh, bookstore in Fairhaven, but you also own a location in Linden. Yes, yes. We opened that a couple of years before the, the transition. Um, and yeah, actually, we worked with Chuck and D together to open that location. So you really are the county's independent bookstore. I, I want to ask a question that's kind of been on my mind for a while since I've been working for the library system, in fact. Um, and that is, you know, as a bookstore owner, what's your take on public libraries? You know, I, I've talked to other bookstores across the country who over the years, um, and I've uh, been in the book business since 89. So I've had a chance to talk to different bookstores about different things. And I've realized that uh, there are different relationships that bookstores have with their libraries um, on a scale of one to 10, one being the worst and 10 being the best. And by the way, we're 10, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And it's always puzzled me when I've heard from the bookstores, how they don't get along with their libraries and vice versa. And it, it's never been something I was able to wrap my head around. They, they would say that they, they wouldn't get along up programming and they were acting like they were actively in competition with each, with each other. And that's never made sense to me because I've ne never had anything but a good relationship with the library. My first experience as a reader was my parents would drop me off and that was my babysitter. I was at the library all the time because we didn't have a bookstore. We always had a library in whatever town we were in. And that's what really developed my love for reading. And then when I had money of my own to be able to buy books and I could build up my own library, then I would go to bookstores. And um, But libraries had a, always had a, a special place in my heart. Uh, so both here and on Bainbridge Island, where I uh, managed for about 18 years, 
we have very close ties with our library and we're very proud of our relationships with each other and uh, with the shared uh, with the common belief that a, uh, a community that reads is nothing but good and uh, whatever bookstores can do to help encourage that, whatever libraries do to encourage that, and whatever methods we have can do nothing but um, help each other out. You know, one of the ways that that we do work together, we aren't rivals. It's not like the Jets and the Sharks here. <laughs> we we, we work together. <laughs> one of the ways that we do work together is uh, the Whatcom Reads program. Um, it's a year long thing but the culmination is coming up um here the first week of march and that's about the time this podcast will go out on the air so i'm really excited to talk to you about that but even more excited is my boss mary vermilion who's been chomping at the bit to to get in and say hi to you and talk about uh whatcom reads so welcome to the show mary hey thanks neil and hi paul great to see you Hey, Mary, always great to see you. I'm super excited about Whatcom Reads. You know, I mean, I jump at this opportunity to talk to, to Paul and share a bit more about how the libraries and Whatcom Village Books work together on this community program that is in its 14th year. Isn't that amazing to think about that? So it was a program that was started 14 years ago. I When I think about it, I think it was um, Whatcom Community College, right? And WCLS, Whatcom County Library System, wrote grants to get this started, kind of inspired by what Nancy Pearl started in Seattle. And while I wasn't directly involved at that time, I know, I'm sure, that Chuck and Dee were really active in, you know, helping to bring the authors to town. And and you guys have just continued that, Paul, huh? Yeah. uh, So Kelly and I arrived in Bellingham in 2011. And that was the first year we were involved with Whatcom Reads. And the uh, I remember at that time, it seemed like it was just this well-oiled machine and they had it all figured out and they knew what was going on. And it's hard to believe that was, um, what, 11 years ago? So wow. I've been with it longer than I was not with it. <laughs> and um, So, yeah, it's been interesting to see it uh, evolve over the years. So, Paul, who was the first uh, Whatcom Reads author that you worked with? Uh, Jim Lynch. From Seattle. Yeah, it was for Border Songs. Yeah. So an interesting thing about Whatcom Reads that I found out when I started working for the library is um, usually there's there's been a, a couple of odd years, um, but usually the author comes to town and spends a few days doing presentations, notably at the Mount Baker Theater um, and other and Western. Um, but someone's got to uh, drive around with them. And and does that ever fall on your shoulders, Paul? I wish. No, we <laughs> we have never gotten to drive the authors around. We oh, uh, no. we're, we're we're often setting up the, the bookstore and breaking down the bookstore when they're they're doing the uh, traveling in between venues. Um, it's funny you were talking about the number of uh, uh, appearances that the authors have. Mm-hmm. I think the first our first Walkham Reads author was Sherman Alexi, and I, I wasn't here at the time, but I heard that he was working so hard. He had so many events going on. He was exhausted by the end of the week. And he was indefatigable anyway, and he just said yes to everything. And they worked him so hard, and they uh, that just kind of set the bar for how we were going to do uh, all of the Walker Reads authors um, after that by not just having the one event, the the Keystone event that everybody comes to, but um, following the spirit of Walker Reads and the library system, getting out, meeting with small groups, getting out in the community, getting out in the county, meeting with large groups, different segments, and that, that was just. I, I think uh, I got to give him a lot of uh, kudos for um, not just saying yes, but um, helping to set the standard uh, pretty high for following authors. Yeah, I remember seeing him um, sitting in a classroom. I was sitting in a classroom at Seaholm High School listening to a presentation uh, <laughs> that year. Um, yeah, he was everywhere. Paul, you know, you said you didn't drive people, drive the authors around. But one thing that people might be interested in hearing is, a really crucial role you play is in reaching out 
to next year's author, once we select, okay, you know, we select ahead of time and say, we really hope to get XYZ person here and you reach out and do the negotiation. And that has to be interesting to be calling these people. And, and maybe you can say things like, you know, Sherman Alexi had a great time or Johnny Evison had a wonderful time. You know, you'll like it too. How, how does that go when you call the author up and say, we'd love to have you here for Whatcom Reads the next yeah. year? That, that, that's a good question. And it's, um, it's not a responsibility we take lightly at all. Uh, that, again, that kind of uh, that standard was set by uh, Chuck and Dee who had so, have so many connections with authors in the community. And that wasn't, I'm sure that wasn't the only reason they uh, got invited to the table for the organizing committee for the walk and reads, but uh, that sure was a big part of it. And being able to um, tap into our, not just relationships, but friendships with authors across the country. And um, there, there's a certain amount of name dropping, but actually it's their testimonials from their prior authors that really helps um and we have heard from at the end of it you know after that grueling week <laughs> i call it grueling for them it's very energizing but also grueling and at the end of the week they say wow this was the best run most organized and best attended all community reads that i've ever attended and just full of uh, appreciation and they feel very well taken care of which is nice and they uh they also uh, universally say wow, those are really great questions from your community. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think back to like Ruth Ezeki, who was here in 2016, and the it's different for every author, right? Because they all come with different, you know, backgrounds and experiences and length, you know, size of their backlist, whatever. With Ruth, she even had a film, a short film that she'd done. And so she had this event at the Pickford, um, which I remember attending and, and as well as the typical author talks that we did and something at the, the Zen Buddhist Center. And so it, it just really depends on the author themselves too. what we can, what kind of programming we can bring. Yeah. And that's one of the, the um, wonderful things about the, the organizing committee throughout the year. And Neil, you talked about this, how we work on it all year long to get ready for it. It's not a, a cook. There's nothing really cookie cutter about what we do with the authors who come. We really tailor not just uh, all the events leading up to it uh, toward the book, but the events while they're here, we try to gear that toward the author in their books. Um, like with Sherman Alexi going to the classroom, um, uh, we had Tim Egan visit the county and talk to, uh, gosh, an auditorium of I don't know how many schools we ended up busing in of students who um they were talking about the big burn as a part of their curriculum and boy, talk about great questions that come came from them um, to Cheryl Strait going to the artist guild to meet with people who are doing quilts inspired by wild. And, Oh, it's just, it gives me goosebumps. The different ways um, that the, the different events and the different ways that people uh, are inspired by the books and different ways that they're, they access the themes explored by the books. Yeah. I think about, um, so this year, of course, we're lucky. We have Michael Christie with Greenwood. And just as a very recent example, so Paul, thanks to Village Books for all the work you put into Whatcom Writes, which is an extension of Whatcom Reads, and it encourages community members to write, um, you know, an essay, or I think we had some uh, poems this year too. So just to write something inspired by a theme in the book. And this year's prompt was interconnectedness. And you know, we posted something on social media about Whatcom Rights um, this Sunday and the fact that the beautiful new anthology is now available at Village Books. And this one of the writers responded to the social media posts and just said something to the effect of, I'm so thrilled um, to be included in this year's collection. And thank you, Michael Christie, for the inspiration. So she was inspired by, you know, reading Greenwood and having to write to that prompt. And Michael Christie, you know, connected with her through social media, liking her comment. And so that you know, just one more way that is this indirect connection for the author and must be inspiring, I have to think, inspiring for them to think that people are reading their words and then, you know, writing their own. That's that's just a really cool way to expand upon the reading experience. A good demonstration of interconnectedness. Yes. How about that? <laughs> so what are we looking forward to this week? This is this the week that this podcast comes out. Michael Christie will be in town. And someone will be driving him around 
I'm driving him some. I I, I get to say that I, I get to drive him a little bit, which is awesome. And I'm, you know, hey, uh, my husband and I own a Westphalia, so we might have to just with a nod to Willow from Greenwood, might have to take him around in our Westie. We'll see. But you should definitely do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just worried to break down, but we'll see. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. I'll say when I'm I'm looking forward to a lot of things. But um, you know, we have the five author events, four in person, one online. But there's also a special add-on that our friends at Evolve um, put together. Evolve is the cafe deliciously perched above Village Books, as they like to say. And uh, Chef Christy and her partner Shannon are putting together one of their amazing five-course Life Between the Pages um, dinners inspired by Greenwood and Michael Christie will attend. And so uh, it may be sold out by the time you're hearing this podcast, but you still should go to Evolve's website and check it out. But that's going to be really fun. That's Wednesday night. And then I'm looking forward to all of the author events, but I think that radio hour is always a fun one, Paul. Yeah, the um, we're particularly excited about this. We've never done a radio hour in conjunction with Walk and Reads before. And uh, so we're going to be up at Bellwood Farms. That's going to be our uh, event out in the county. And um, I thought it only appropriate. I mean, uh, set it in a place where you've got a bunch of trees. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be doing that on the uh, on the third. And that's uh, if you've never been to a Chuckin' Out Radio Hour, this will be a great treat. And we've already got a huge crowd registered for it. So, yeah, and that's a reminder for everybody. And to another thing, too, if people attended, we had a great event with the Luthier, local Luthier, Devin Champlin, and he is the musical act for the radio hour that night. So, oh, more, more connections. Yeah. But, um, Hey, Whatcom County, Bellingham and Whatcom County, um, you may not be accustomed to having to register for the author events, but we are requiring registration this year because we are trying to manage those COVID protocols. So um, if you haven't yet registered for the in-person author events or for the online event on Saturday, please do that now. Um, And you may run into a waiting list, but that's okay because we'll be monitoring that waiting list and emailing out people if spaces become available. So please Go to whatcomreads.org and register um, for the five author events, four in person, one online. Yeah, they um, I always look for silver linings in every event. And I think the one that might have uh, might be coming out of this whole thing from the past couple of years is actually being able to plan ahead for events, um, uh, registering ahead for events and um, showing up for, for events and doing it far in advance. Uh, it can only help the people who are um, who are always trying to organize events throughout the community, and not just us. But I, I hear this uh, throughout Bellingham: is oh, we can't plan for this because people are waiting till the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a definitely a Bellingham trait. I've lived in this this county for oh, 40 years or more, and Bellingham, Whatcom County folks like to. Keep their options open till the last minute. Yeah. <laughs> and also at the Mount Baker Theater event, and I, you know, we're, we, yes, even there at the Mount Baker Theater, we're asking that folks please go online and register. It's free, but we do need you to, to let us know if, you, if you're coming. Yeah. At the end of that event, we'll announce the 2023 book. So that's always a extra fun reason to go to the Mount Baker um, author event because you'll learn, you'll be the first to hear next year's book. And we're not going to say it here, obviously, but I know all three of us are very excited about the 2023 book and author. We are. And I was going to pretend that I didn't know and try and prompt you guys into (laughs) revealing who it was, (laughs) scooping everybody, but I'll, I'll be good. I will say that, um, uh, one year I, um, I think I told this story to you before Mary, probably on the air last time, last podcast, but I haven't told Paul yet, so it's new to him. So I was sitting in the Mount Baker Theater listening to, to Tim Egan, and he was going to reveal the next year's um, uh, book and author, and I knew it because I was involved in the Whatcom Reads Committee, um, but I was sitting next to uh, Margaret Bickman, um, Bellingham's you know, favorite librarian and entertainment writer, newsperson, and she kept elbowing me saying, you know who this is, you know, who you know, you tell me, just, just whisper it to me. I wouldn't do it. 
So it, it is one of the best kept secrets. I remember, um, I think there was, uh, I, I'm not going to say her name, but she was on the committee for many, many years, one of the founding members. And the year after she retired, she invited Kelly and I over for dinner. And um, Walk and Reads was coming up in about a month or so. And, and we're getting to dessert. And she said, So, Paul and Kelly, who's the next Walk and Reads author? And Oh, we were so torn because here she was in the know for so many years. Right. And we wanted to tell her and we're looking at each other and like, oh, she said, don't worry. I know you can. <laughs> it was a test. A test yeah. to see if you were worthy. I, I remember when A.O. and Ivy announced um, Washington Black and she was so excited. Essie Adujan's Washington Black. She was so excited. She was like, oh, you guys are so lucky. I mean, it's just kind of <laughs> neat to see one author so excited about the other. And Well, they are the stewards of the Wacom Reads yes. program. <laughs> the next reader. I yes, like them. they are. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Well, is there anything we haven't really talked about yet as far as Wacom Reads that people need to know about? Uh, interconnectedness, the anthology, is available at Village Books, and uh, all proceeds of the sales will go right back into Wacom Reads and Wacom Writes for future programming, as well as 10% of every sale of Greenwood. Uh, Village Books will be donating to Wacom Reads and Wacom, uh, yeah, to Wacom Reads for uh, future authors. We're at, 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 on behalf of the Wacom County Reading Community. Thank you, Village Books, for for the, that financial support, not to mention all the in-kind things you guys do. And I guess, you know, in terms of what else do people need to know, I just want to, in addition to Village Books and to all of our partners who present Whatcom Reads, and that would be all the public and academic libraries in Bellingham and Whatcom County. We've been doing this together as a partnership for 14 years. I also want to thank our funding sponsors. And I know it's boring when somebody reads off this long list, but please bear with me because these people <laughs> really make a difference and um, we couldn't do this without their support. And so I want to thank, and you can also find all these names on our website, walkandreads.org, the Friends of the Bellingham Public Library, Whatcom County Library Foundation, Whatcom County Library System. And this year we received special support from Humanities Washington and the National Endowment for the Humanities for a project we did called the Walk and Reads Field Guide and Journal, which if you come to the author events, you'll, you can learn all about that and, and pick up a copy. We're also grateful for support from the city of Bellingham, Village Books, Western Washington University Libraries, Allen Arts of Whatcom County, Bellingham Technical College Foundation, North Cascades Institute and Walk a Million Trees Project were both incredible partners this year and brought some really special contributions. And we're also very grateful to the Hotel Leo in downtown Bellingham for providing the author accommodations. And just a shout out to Allied Arts, because when you're listening to this, um, every year Allied Arts does an art challenge for Walk and Reads and local artists, just like the writers write to a theme, um, local artists read Greenwood and then um, create original works that are on display at the gallery at Allied Arts. And I encourage everyone to go down and just see what local artists are doing and how they're inspired by Whatcom Reads and then consider joining next year, you know, contributing your own artwork. So just a thank you to all the people who make it possible. Yeah. You know, I don't usually do this, but can I say one more thing about that, Mary? Yeah. You're, you're, you brought up a good point. When people bring up the financial sponsors, um, oftentimes they are just financial sponsors, which is, um, God bless them because they keep the things going. And um, that transaction of giving money to an organization to help make something possible is so useful. That list of people that you read weren't just financial sponsors. They're community partners. Yeah. And there might be a financial aspect to it, but there are people on in each of those organizations who are not just uh, don't just believe in what we're doing, but they're invested in what we're doing, and they're taking time and doing programming around um, all of these different programs that we're doing. So, um, this is not just a monetary support. This is truly community building and interconnectedness on a level that's far more than just a transaction. So, thank you to those community partners. Absolutely, I agree, and I would say that that list change. There are people who are are stalwart supporters, right? And they're there every year with their support, whether it be financial or in-kind. But that list also changes every year. You know, again, we're talking about how what the author brings um, to Whatcom Reads influences our programming. And 
the same is true for our partners. So every year, because we're exploring different themes um, in a book, different partners join us. They say, hey, we'd like to talk about, you know, let people know about what we're doing, the work we're doing in the community. Um, or, hey, we'd like to facilitate a conversation that helps people to explore themes from the book. So when we announce the 2023 book, I hope that people listening to this will say, hmm, I wonder how my organization might get involved. And it doesn't have to be money. It's just the, the tagline is read the book, join the conversation. How can you help further the conversation? We'd love to hear from you. So reach out to us if you'd like to get involved. Yeah. Well, and you can see why I always bring Mary along with <laughs> She just talks and talks. Because I just ramble. She's focused. Um, I wanna um I do want to ask Paul. I know this may get cut out of the thing, but just in case we can use it. Can you ask him your book questions, Neil? Oh, the book. See, I because I know you can do it off the top of your head, Paul. This you don't need any advance prep. So, Paul, I know you're a faithful listener to our podcast, and you clearly are aware that at that every guest that comes in, I ask a couple of questions. Um about the books that they're reading. Um, with you, it's gonna be a little different because as a, as a steward of the community's bookstore, uh, what I wanna know, I'm gonna ask a, 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 just about a couple of books that you can think of. You don't have to think real hard. It doesn't have to be you know, the perfect answer. Um, but you know, since you own, the great independent bookstore in Bellingham in Whatcom County. Uh, what are people reading? What, what, what do you see that people are really enjoying reading these days? Oh boy. That has put me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, actually the, um, our Chuck and our reader is just about to come out. And um, one of the thing, the features that we do in our spring issue is to say what, Bellingham was reading in 2021. Mm -hmm. So we've got our top 40 list that we're just about to release. Oh, and uh, you're able to see from the list, Greenwood is at the top of the list, no surprise. Um, they're really very much reading that. Uh, they're also reading a lot of, um, we're reading a lot of books about getting in touch with nature, getting back outside, uh, a lot of hiking books. You know, Bellingham is very outside focused anyway. Um, but that's a lot of the books that uh, folks are reading. The um, uh, I think last year and hopefully not this year, one of the trends that people were reading was uh, anxiety. <laughs> how to deal with being anxious. The year before that, it was how to be happy. <laughs> so <laughs> I look forward to seeing what this year is going to bring and if it's going to be some um, maybe some less neurotic books <laughs> yeah. oh, you read, don't do you still read a lot of speculative fiction paul yeah that that's kind of your primary lane right i know you're an avid reader you read lots but um i don't know that we've ever had anybody on the podcast on the show who's talked about you know recommended uh, speculative fiction speculative fiction well what what's the title that you're that you've been reading or that you really enjoyed i'm gonna i'm gonna give you two titles one is uh that's already been out um that it really appeals to the Dungeons and Dragons nerd in me from high school. And um, it's called Black Tongue Thief. And this came out in a hardcover last year and it's coming out in paperback very soon. But um, the, I read a lot of D&D books when I was in high school and a lot of them were kind of cookie cutter and uh, formulaic. This one is so original and fun and also has so many uh, references that uh, any uh, role-playing geeks will just really tap into. Um, but even if you don't play role-playing games, you'll just love it. And it's this entertaining uh, first-person uh, adventure that is smart and funny and witty and original. It's just, I, I couldn't get enough of it. What's it uh, called again? Black, excuse me, Black Tongue Thief. Black Tongue Thief. Yeah. That's I need that book because my sons are both avid D and Ders, and I have not, you know we'll we'll be sitting and talking and all of a sudden the conversation veers towards Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I got nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so many of them they they take place with the uh, the what you know about from uh, TSR or uh, from the role playing game. So it just feels like they've lifted an adventure from out of the pages of that. This one 
it's a it's t- entirely new world building and culture building, and it stands alone, stands alongside and uh, above any other fantasy books I've read. So the other one that I've just finished is uh, not out yet. Unfortunately, that's one of the the plights of a bookseller is we're often reading books long before they come out. So you say, "What are you reading now?" And say, "Well, I'll tell you, but you haven't heard of it. You can't get it." So sorry. So uh, when Ordinary Monsters comes out by Miro, M-I-R-O. It looks a lot like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, and it's really thick, and it's got a raven on the cover. But it's nothing like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, except it takes place in Victorian England, but also sprawls across the entire world during Victorian England time. And again, wholly original and well thought out, wonderful characters. And there's, it goes from Japan, it goes to the American South, and it pulls these teenagers back to this, uh, it's gonna sound familiar, but back to a school in Scotland to uh, help them to learn how to manage their powers. It's nothing like Harry Potter. Don't even get that in your head. There's <laughs> similar to it whatsoever, except they're uh, young kids trying to um, deal with their powers. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it, the. Uh, I savored every word and read it as slow as I could up until the last 150 pages. And then I couldn't read it fast enough. I was just reading the sentences faster than I could absorb them because I needed to see what would happen. It was like a runaway train getting to the end. So that's coming out this summer and I'm super excited about it. And and what's the title again? Ordinary Monsters. Ordinary Monsters. Okay. Paul, we're going to have to have you back. We have so much more to talk about, apparently. (laughs) <laughs> anytime there all right we'll plan and we'll plan another episode around around village books we'll just do the whole maybe we'll do it on location that yeah exactly. we usually uh twice a year we usually have a book talk so we can have a bunch of books ready for you oh yeah. there you go oh that would be fun okay everybody look forward to that paul thank you for for coming on this show it's it's always a pleasure and we're looking forward to Whatcom Reads coming up. Get out there, everybody, and 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 register for the for the author events, five author events. And read the book. You only have three more days. Yeah. And read the book. <laughs> get, the, get the audiobook and put it on on four times speed or something. Yeah, come and join us. It's gonna be a lot of fun, as it always All right. is. All right. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Thank Neil. You. Thanks, Paul. Today, we're fortunate to have with us a community member who just finished reading Greenwood. Amy Jones is a graphic designer for the Whatcom County Library System, and she's here to talk about her thoughts and feelings about this book. Welcome, Amy. Hi, Neil. Um, Before we get into the details, could you tell the audience what you told Mary Vermillion and I about how you finished the book? Yes. So I uh, was reading it during our long weekend over President's Day. I was in a rush to finish it before Michael Christie comes. And I truly spent um, probably half the day finishing the end of the book and just weeping. (laughs) And um, I think that is what prompted this discussion is um, Mary Vermillion was saying that she didn't remember feeling sad when she read the book. And I was reflecting on that afterwards and thinking I wasn't weeping because I was sad. I was weeping because it was like this just like beautiful, brutal truth about life. You know, I think um, I frequently choose light, easy reads. I think I read often to escape. And so um I'm really drawn to like, oh, a a light romance story set on the beach is like my my kind of jam usually. And so I was um, hesitant to to jump into Greenwood. I thought it was just going to be kind of dire warnings about environmental destruction. And I was like, man, I don't know if I can take that right now. But and and it's a big book, too. It is a big book. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um I was surprised though that it it was the 
yes, environmentalism was woven throughout the story, but I don't feel like for me that was the central focus of it. Um, I feel like it was truly about... So I keep, I keep thinking about how you see these plants out in the world that have like managed to take root and thrive in these impossible places, you know, a weed pushing up through the crack in the pavement. And I feel like that feeling was true of every character in this novel. The circumstances for so many of them were really difficult and brutal in a lot of ways. And yet everyone found ways to make the best of what they had to thrive, even in these dire circumstances and really just grow even in incredibly inhospitable conditions. So a real hopeful, a hopeful book for you. It I'm was. Not sure, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that everybody um, gets that sense. Um, I'm not sure I felt that as much as as you did uh, when yeah. I read the book. Uh, well, but I, that's the great thing about these books. <laughs> yes, I was just going to say the same thing as I think that there were so many... Um, all the characters were really multifaceted. The story weaves together in this really interesting structure. Um, maybe that's an appropriate time to talk about how the it's built. The story is built yeah. like the cross section of a tree and looking at the rings of a tree. So it starts in 2034 and then steps back in time in these big chunks, like 2008, 1974, 1934, which is the heart of it, then you go back out again to 74, 2008, 2038. And I think in that same way of the the structure sort of revealing all these different parts of the story and that they are actually interwoven, it's such a complex story and each character is so complex that I... I think this is going to be a really interesting book to discuss on a much larger scale because I think everyone will have a different takeaway versus a lot of the books I read are just like, that's great. Yeah, great. (laughs) There's nothing really to say. And this one, I love that you and I had very different experiences reading it. And I think that will be true in a larger sense also. Yeah, I think so. So so give me a little without giving too much away, a little synopsis about what what the plot of the book is. Mm. Okay, so the book starts in 2038, where um, we are living in a, a really dire circumstance of um, there is a small island off the coast of British Columbia that has some of the only remaining trees left. In the world. In the world, yes. Um, yeah. And it has been commodified and it's become this sort of like a spiritual retreat that very wealthy people can come and be in the presence of trees. And um, so that's sort of the setup of the first section of the story is this um, young woman named Jake or Jacinda is her real name, but Jake is what she goes by. And um, in, in that chapter, the seeds are planted for um, following back through her lineage of um, who her father was, who her grandmother was, who her great-grandfather was, and um, all the ways that, oh gosh, it's hard not to like give too much away <laughs> when talking about the storyline. Um, really how all these lives were interwoven and rooted together, even when each successive generation may not 
know that story or understand the implications, but how we are all impacting each other's lives, even if we don't know that. And in the, you know, in the, our, the lives of the future too. Yes. You know, the, the, we are impacting what's going to happen to, you know, our descendants, I guess, in mm-hmm. 20, 30, 35, which will still be around. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. Well, um, and that was kind of what was difficult to start reading the book was that it was only set in 2038 and the level of um, environmental destruction that was being portrayed. And right now things feel pretty scary in our actual real lives too. And so it was, it was tough to get into that first part where I was like, I don't know if I want to read about this. And, um, but what's interesting to me about the way that that story was written is that in each section, I was fully committed to that character. And then you would turn the page and you'd see that it was like stepping back in time. And I felt resistance each time it was going to change. Like I was like, no, 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 I want to keep reading about this person. And honestly, within like two pages of the new section, I was all in on the new characters, the new story. This was the kind of book that by the time I finished it, I really, truly wanted to just start over and read it through again with this sort of new awareness and understanding of the characters and their um, kind of internal lives, which I think takes a while to develop in the book. Yeah, yeah. I felt that too, the the resistance to leaving this this character in this time period. And um, the other thing that I felt was when I was reading about Jake in the, the near future, it, I forgot that it was the near future. Mm. Much of the time I felt it was, I was, we were, I was reading about now. Yeah. It just felt like, like this is a, this is a believable world that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, I live in. Maybe it's like that now because I've been in my house for two years. (laughs) The world may have changed into that future world of Jake because I haven't set foot outside. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So what you talked about, um, that was a great uh, depiction of the, the roots of, or the, um, a great depiction of the rings of a tree um, moving through it in that fashion from, the outside ring of the future into the past and then back out to the future. Mm -hmm. I hadn't, I I know, I know that trees was, is a theme, of course. Um, The family's name is Greenwood. Right. So, um, but I hadn't, and I, and I knew that there was, you know, metaphors of rings and branches and roots and forests. Um, But that visual that you gave me just now kind of, clarified the structure of this book for me in a way that I hadn't hadn't um, imagined. So thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. Anything that comes out of this podcast, I've, I've gotten that and now I can go back and read the book again. Yeah. But, 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 but the rings are kind of, they're some symbolic of times, but they're also symbolic of generations of a family. Mm-hmm. So family is a is a huge thing in this book, and that's kind of what captured me. You know, I, you know, I know that I know that you know the audience may not know. I'm really pretty fascinated with with my own family history, um, and my grandfather and my grandmother, and and the origins origin stories of how we came to be. Um, this book, I guess, makes me sort of think of you know, what's going to go on with my family. Um, how, you know, how, how does, I don't, I don't have a question. (laughs) Well, what I thought, I thought it was interesting about the family element to the story, because I agree with you. Family is just as much a central theme as all of the tree analogies and metaphors. And, um, but I, I thought it was really interesting how 
the lineage of this family is complicated. There, it's imperfect. There are all kinds of character struggles and um, people really being lost and trying to find their way back to themselves, back to the people they love, you know. And I appreciated that it really held the truth of the fact that these same people, our families, have shaped us. We react to them, against them. We make choices in reflection of the choices they've made. You know, we are all so intertwined. And I think that's why I loved the the tree ring analogy that Michael Christie used because, you know, I'm the outer trunk of a tree is what we see and what what the world is interacting with, but all this other stuff exists inside and affects that external ring, right? And so for for all of us, the life we're living right now is that external ring. And then we have all this other stuff that has been handed down to us, whether we know what that is or not. And we're all just trying to like do the best we can and live our truest life or the best life we can do for ourselves. And, you know, I really like that you were talking about how suddenly now you're shifting from thinking about all the people who came before you to thinking about what's going to come after you. And I think that's part of it that, you know, we don't often know how we will affect other lives or even the world. And I appreciated that this story found a way to embrace all of the multitudes and possibilities at the same time, you know, that family can both be what you love and what supports you and be the thing that drives you the most insane and that you make choices in your life to react against, but are still the people who are your roots and hold you up in a lot of ways. And I, I think in my experience, family is that complex. And I liked seeing that reflected in a story rather than a a simplified version of like a neat and tidy little family, like a sitcom. Yeah, very, yeah. It's, it very much was a complex family with, with a lot of love and hate Mm -hmm. going side by side. Yeah. That was a powerful piece of that story. Um, So, okay. Anything else you want to say about this book that you, you that I didn't ask the right questions for um did I miss anything I don't I don't think so I mean for me I just think the best way to talk about this book is just that you know as much as there is um pain and loss and disappointment there's also always hope and forgiveness and love and we we all somehow bear the unbearable and we endure and beyond endure. I think we, we adapt and we grow and we find a way to keep going on. And I, I think that's the really beautiful, hopeful message of this book. And uh, for me, I need that message right now more than ever, (laughs) you know, it feels like really hard times and it's nice to, rest in this story where we're not trying to turn away from the hard times, but saying that there can be beautiful things in the hard things too. Oh, before we go, I have to ask you a a quick question that I like to ask all the participants of the podcast. Okay. Um, I'm going to, I've been shaping this. I started out with some rigid questions that I was asking people about books that they read. Um, and, and it's kind of evolved as, um, as it's gone by and gotten shorter. So I guess, I guess the thing is what I would want to know from you having read Greenwood and come out hopeful is what's another hopeful book 
that mm. we could be reading after we finish Greenwood? Um, my other most recent favorite is The Great Circle. Uh, it is another really epic story like that. It spans um, a large chunk of time, not as large as Greenwood, <laughs> um, but it's a similar story in ways of um, people really searching for how to how to live in a, accordance, I think, with their their deepest held beliefs, their selves, their version of what their life should be like. Um, I saw that in Greenwood, and I feel like it is also very much a part of the Great Circle. And so that story is about a, a female pilot who wants to fly around the world and um, her journey to do that, not just to do the flight, but everything it takes to get to that point. And um, it's similar in ways of like, it can be kind of tough at times and sort of brutal and beautiful. It's that sort of mix of, um, there's another podcast I listen to frequently and they have combined those two things to be the word brutiful. And I think both both of these books would fall into that brutiful category. But both end up, I think, giving me hope. So, so and that's called the Great Circle. Yes. Okay, we'll we'll have a link to that one as well in our podcast notes. Okay, great. All right, this has been a great conversation. I've learned a new word, brutiful. <laughs> I've. It's all metaphors and family. We've had, this has been great. We'll have to do this again, Amy. Yes, it's always fun talking to you, Neil. That's our show. Don't forget to register for upcoming Whatcom Reads author events. Find details and links at whatcomreads.org. A thousand thanks to our guests today, Paul Hansen and Amy Jones. Is that her real name? I'm skeptical. And deep appreciation to my boss and co-conspirator, Mary Vermillion. The difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between the lightning and the lightning bug. Follow this podcast on your favorite platform or find all our episodes at wcls.org slash podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, tell a friend, share it on your social media, write a letter to the editor, send a message in a bottle. Thank you for listening, my friends.